You're listening to The Process, where we talk to some of the industry's most talented artists, including film, TV, and game. From concept artists to previs to 3D animators and visual effects artists, we talk about a personal project of theirs and take a look at the work that went into them, as well as show an insight into the mind and workflow of each artist. For any visuals discussed in this episode, we've provided a link to images and videos should you need a bit more context. Or you can watch a video podcast on YouTube. Hey. Hello, hello. Hello, How's hello. How's your uh, day going? What what you what you've been doing? It's it's all good. Just uh just here at work. My first child is about to be born. I was gonna say any yeah. moment now you any could moment become I, any I, moment. I have my phone on me, it could vibrate sure. at any moment Man. now. You, of course, if you have to just literally run away from the machine, you yeah. go do it. Celtic, yeah, it's, it's all good. I mean, it's not, it's not like they portray in the movies. Uh, you know, if the thing <laughs> starts, it still is like 12 hours from now. Of course. Yeah. My first child is due on the 1st of June. So in like six oh, weeks ish time. Amazing. Yeah. We're like almost in the same decision right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like mentally right now, I seem to have never enough free time i'm uh i don't know it's i mean maybe part of it is because like i got a pregnant wife at home and it's that roller coaster i'm on the top and i'm up on my way i'm like i'm on my way to go down this you know incredible ride that is gonna be very taxing yeah and it's gonna force me to find a balance yeah. don't feel like i found it yet yeah, and I guess it's it's that thing, isn't it? Like you will not really know how to ride the wave until you're on the wave. Exactly. You exactly. know, you can never, I guess, prepare for such yeah. thing, and you. Or I'm just you're... kind of drifting down to oblivion, drowning, <laughs> and realizing, ah, oh, that's what I should have done. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, you know. So my name is Kjartik Kalmarsson. I am Icelandic, but I live in the Netherlands in Amsterdam. I work for the Blender Studio, which is. The studio that is adjacent to the Blender Foundation and where Blender, the 3D software, is being made. We have this privilege of working with the team that is actually making the software. But at the same time, we, the artists at the studio, we have have kind of our own objective, which is create art with this thing and then do it while using the most latest version of the software. So we are a little bit the canary in the coal mine. And then at the same time, we you know, are maybe going over some features that are being created, or we ask for features or maybe give some feedback on them and see, can we make them better? Uh, so it's it's all about improving the actual tool while it's being made. So kind of a symbiotic relationship. And what about your background in terms of uh, industry? You know, where did it all begin for you? Uh, I was born on a Friday. No, uh, no, please so... do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we want the no, details. No. Yeah, no, no. 3D and graphics and that kind of stuff. That was always just kind of a hobby for me. And I was actually studying computer science. I didn't realize, by the way, that, you know, coming from a very tiny island, I even grew up in a, in a tiny village. So the fact that people had this as a job, like, uh, you know, the writer of a film or the, you know, animator or layout artist, all of these things, you don't know they exist. and. Uh, so I, I just knew that ah, I'm probably going to do something with computers. So I was studying computer science and had like graphic design and that kind of stuff as a hobby on the sideline. And then I graduated and I didn't know what to do, but I wanted to do something that intersected with these two things that I was kind of passionate about. So 
I went into a multimedia design school. And as I was doing that, I found that when that becomes your main thing, like graphic design, learning how to like design fonts and all of these things, I would come home and in order to relax, I would program something. So it like, it kind of flipped. <laughs> I made my graduation project, which was uh, a tiny little short film that does not stand the test of time. <laughs> like none of the fundamentals of animation were applied because I didn't know them. So it's, it's really, really bad. But it was good enough that a producer for an advertisement company saw it and he's he was like, you know, uh, do you want to come work for us? We we may have some like sweetie stuff that we want to do. And then at some point in that like eight year period, some of our stuff was winning some awards. You know, it's a small place, but still that's like it meant a lot. I felt like a phony because I was just like, I never gone through animation training, like real training. I only just, you know, grabbed books from bookstore and just like, oh, this is about animation. And, and then you read it and you have some idea, but you always feel like, but I don't know really what I'm doing. You're kind of, kind of winging it, you know, you know, it's the imposter syndrome, I guess, or something. And it kind of made me make a decision. You know what? I'm going to do animation mentor, which is the, you know, the sure, man. Yeah. character animation school online. I do recommend people that are interested in animation to do that kind of stuff. Like if, if they feel like they have, you know, the time and the patience and the, you know, the interest and the passion and all that stuff. But I do recommend don't do like a hundred percent job while you're doing it. I like maybe you know what you did. Yeah, that's what I did. And I was animating the entire day and then I would go home and now I have to continue animating. And then, uh, and then you, so you'd animating the day for a full time job and then learn how to animate in your spectrum. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And then my weekends just completely animating. And and, uh, and then after 18 months, I graduated. I was very happy and proud of, of what I had accomplished in that period. But uh, like there were a couple of months afterwards where I did not want to animate for the rest of my life. No, that sounds brutal. <laughs> that, sounds a, that sounds a lot of animating. <laughs> yeah, where you just kind of push, you take something you're passionate about and you push it to the brink of what is healthy. You know? Yeah. And then, and then you feel like you have to take a break. I think it was like a couple of months later, I went to my graduation in San Francisco and Ton Rosendahl, the, the creator of Blender, he reached out to me on Twitter oh. and he was like, oh, like you're going, you know, you're going to San Francisco. Well, SIGGRAPH is like the week before. Why don't you come earlier? I can give you like an exhibitor batch and you can hang out Whoa. with us. At the, That's at insane. This is fun. And I was like, oh, cool, 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 cool. What? work was it that caught his eye during the course of making these like commercial campaigns and whatnot i started working with a guy Danny, who was like he he went through the training of special effect makeup oh, design sure. for movies with that knowledge of how skin interacts and whatnot he was this amazing shading artist and he was using blender and i really wanted to work with him but I, at the time i was using 3ds max and you know he made the case that blender is free I was like, okay, you, you won. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so I, I, it was 2009 that I got onto Blender, and then from there on out, all my commercial campaigns and everything, it was all Blender. I was using that, you know, like a Twitter has, uh, like a hashtag for Blender or whatever. Some of it caught the the eye of Ton, and he. It's so funny. I, I don't think he does this anymore. But at one point I was using Blender and I became frustrated because I couldn't figure out something. There was something in the user interface. I needed to import a movie clip or something like that. It's a file, right? 
But the thing is, the drop-down menu of the thing I was grabbing, it said file. And then if you clicked it below, it had video. So I was being, I was really confused and I was struggling with this. I was going through the documentation and finding it out. And I ended up like going on Twitter, like, why? Tom, why? what is this piece and of then, headwork? Yeah, what is this? And then, <laughs> uh, and you know, and Tom replied and he was like, well, you know, uh, you just click the thing and it's a file. And I'm like, well, yeah, but a video is also a file. And he was like, oh, oh yeah, you're right. I don't know why. <laughs> and then within a day, the official version of Blender had now single image and then below that is like video, whatever. And I was like, wow, you don't see that happening with like Autodesk or whatever. Absolutely. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? About the, the community, the developers, you know, listening to what people and artists need and literally implementing them in a, in a couple of days. <laughs> exactly. Potentially. That's incredible. Going back to when you was reached out by Tarn and you went to SeaGraph, what was that like? And then where did that lead you from that point? Like, uh, it was really cool. I had never been to LA before. Like, so it was in Los Angeles. And then I would right. you know, jump over to my graduation. I met up with the guys and some of the guys that still work here. They were working on this this little short. It was it was uh, Pablo Vasquez and Francesco Siddi, my coworkers now. They were planning on doing this little short about a llama. They had already made one of them. So they wanted to make like a little mini sequel. And this thing was supposed to be just like, we already have the character. It's already rigged. We're, we want to make this thing like one minute long. It's like, can we tell a story in one minute? And they had planned it. So if I joined, there would be two animators. It would be like, you know, let's let's aim at these two weeks here in October or something. I, I was super busy at my job in Iceland, but I managed to like carve out that time slot. And then when I came there, the, the other animator, just before we started, he had been offered an animation position for the Lego movie. So he left, totally understood. Like I, uh, yeah. you know, thought I, I, you know it's, it, was, it was a good decision. The story was actually now two minutes. So instead of two animators with one minute, it was one animator one with two, two minutes. yeah. All right, let's do this. Rolled <laughs> up my sleeves and... Uh, and, you know, the, the final product, you know, it's fun and charming. Obviously, there's like a lot of single takes where it's like there's no time to, to adjust. I think it was the first time I ever animated a bipedal character. So that was interesting. I, I was like looking at some videos of a llama, how they walked. And I was like, what? Okay, let's, let's do this, I guess. It, it worked out pretty well. And then he told me that, there was this project that he had in mind. It was a very ambitious thing. He was going to create a crowdsourced feature film. It's going to be split up between studios all around the world. And he wanted me to come and uh, like to Amsterdam to, to be like a lead animator for that section of it. Not enough money was raised to like fully reach that goal. So the idea was, okay, let's at least aim at making basically a short film that is the sliver of the beginning of this right. film. and this this became cosmos laundromat it was basically like do you want to come and live here for like eight months maybe nine months i was like yeah let's you know let's try something new in my life why not and uh, i all of a sudden it's like okay i gotta get a storage unit in iceland and shove all my stuff in there i gotta you know um uh, terminate my contract on my apartment all of that stuff and i you know and i show up here and i and i you know, worked on it. It was fantastic. 
And then, you know, in the, I think in the middle of it or something, there were no like permanent employees at the Blender Studio. Everybody was always just hired for a crowdsourced project and that's it. And he asked like, can I, like, we can't like offer permanent roles or anything, but can I like hire you for like one more year to stay here? And I was like, oh, okay, sure, sure, sure. Like, you know, it's, it's been really fun. Let's, let's lengthen it slightly and, and whatnot. Uh, then it happened again. And then we just stopped talking about it. And at <laughs> some point. You've never been, you've never left. <laughs> I, exactly. I, I realized at some point it's been eight years. I, I realized I still have that storage unit and I'm paying for it every year. And it was, you know, it was a not, it was a not insignificant, insignificant amount of money. And I, you know, and I made a decision, okay, I got to go there and I got to like, you know, it looks like this is a more permanent thing. And that's when I think COVID hit or something. So, right. so I couldn't be traveling. And so I had to pay one more year. So like, it was like uh, last year that I finally did it. I finally emptied that storage unit and it became a little bit more of a permanent thing where I could put some roots down here. Then I've like I met my girlfriend who became my fiance and now we're married and now Amazing. you know fifteen minutes from now we are sure. potentially gonna have a baby. our first child. Yeah, <laughs> the due date was yesterday, so uh, I never oh, know when the phone is gonna ring. Yeah, but I, I feel like now we've you know I've I've kind of settled down a little bit more here and I'll probably always call Iceland home and at some point I'll, I'll go back there, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I, Amsterdam is amazing and, and the Netherlands is amazing and Dutch people in general uh, fantastic. Nice. And you clearly, you know, it's one of those where you, you, you was enjoying it and you stayed and there's no reason to to necessarily leave and you were on to the next project and it's clearly working. How did you transition from animator to co-director to director? Tom had this comic book that he had grown up with, which was Agent 327. And he asked if I it was, if I was willing to do like an animation test with the character, which I did, and it was it was you know it was very short. It was like in a in a in a span of a, a week or two, and it was good enough that he got the rights from the the original artist that made it. He basically he was like he kept like putting all these comic books around at the at the studio to see like you know if if it would spark anyone's interest or whatnot, and uh, there was a lot of interesting stuff in there and one of the things that intrigued me was the 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 fact that this guy is you know he's kind of a, a little bit of a wannabe james bond it's kind of a james bond spoof at, at its core and i thought um well it has to be like an action scene like there's no way it's not an action scene with some intrigue around it my thought process was can i pitch a thing like a like a fight scene in a scenario that i've never seen before I grew up in a house that was also a hair salon. I, my mother was a hairdresser. So it, it, it came to me at some point like, oh, like a barber shop. There's a lot of interesting things that can become weapons and whatnot. You know, first I, I was trying to make a version that just incorporated all of the crazy ideas, you know, like, you know, they're throwing scissors like ninja stars and all of these things. Then we talked about the scope of this and we were aiming at like 90 seconds. And that's when you realize... <laughs> You got to trim everything <laughs> yeah. down. There's like, there's no time for any of this stuff. He kept telling me like, oh, we got to shorten it, shorten it, shorten it. And I sat down with him and I said, oh, like, we, I can shorten it, but I can't just like take 10 frames off every shot. Yeah. <laughs> we, you, you're going to, we're going to have to sit down and choose story elements that are going to be thrown away. 
And when you go over it, he's like, oh, I don't want to lose that. Oh, no, that's too good. Oh, that's too fun. Yeah. And then and, he's like, we need to make it bigger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then when you're then that's when you come to realize, I think the scope of it needs to be slightly bigger. And then we're not going to have, you know, any kind of friction about like, does this fit inside what we needed to fit it? When we were working on layout, uh, Colin, who's a friend of mine, he, he joined the team. And uh, I always wanted to work with him. So it was fantastic to, you know, kind of get him on board. The layout of the downstairs, for example, the whole layout there is totally him. And not only that, the voice of that crazy woman that's downstairs there, it's his voice. I don't think he's credited. Um, <laughs> it was just like, you know, you do the scratch dialogue as a temporary measure. And then later we were actually trying to cast somebody and we just... We couldn't find, you know, an actress or whatever. And we had very limited time to find anyone. Um, <laughs> we couldn't find anyone that sounded as creepy as he sounded <laughs> when he was trying to do this weird voice. So we just ended up going with it. And my voice cameo in there, I'm the victim that's downstairs that's yelling, I just wanted a haircut. Oh, and, okay. then, and, and then gets lobotomized. So uh, <laughs> if Brilliant. we ever make a sequel, I think my character's uh, toast. As we went along, you know, there were other projects where I just took on different roles. Right. And all of these roles are super interesting. And it's all, you know, in the name of filmmaking, how, how to accomplish the best way of telling the story that is, you know, maybe written down there, and, you know, transitioning it into this totally different medium, this, this visual medium. But with Charge then, going into that, when that came about, was you just called on board to, to write a short? For Charge, Francesco and Tan had a conversation after Sprite Fright I think it was important at that point that we make a new film that is not putting the emphasis on cartoony. You know, if you if you look at our kind of repertoire of, of uh, these open movies that we make, we're never really repeating ourselves. We are every single time just figuring something new out, new design style, right. often new animation style. And it keeps us on our toes. It also means it's more of a headache because every time you've... Like at the end of a film, when you're animating that last shot, you're, you then you're like, ah, now I know how to do it. And then you look back at the first shot that was made. You yes. Go, oh, yeah. Yes, that has happened too many times. You know, to, in order to do something we've never done before, we should be aiming at uh, making what is the equivalent of, I guess, a cinematic game trailer. And we're not trying to, you know, defy realism, you know, like where people look at it and they can't. They can't figure out if it's if it's real or not. It's not really the goal, but we're not also trying to do such a stylization that it feels like a cartoon yeah. per se. You know, it's, because it's, you didn't want to be, do another stylized cartoon, and be, you wanted to exactly. just change it a, a lot, but a little. Exactly, exactly. So I was given the opportunity to do a pitch. Can this thing be like you know ninety seconds, basically, and can it have action, please? You know, at least one human-esque character. It was all about like, can we use what we have and come up with something? I had three pitches. One of them was kind of inspired a little bit by maybe like the original Alien movie. It okay. has a lot of suspense. And then when the action finally happens, it really happens and it, ki and it really kicks off and goes crazy. And then I had another one that was, it had a lot of action and more like sci-fi-esque stuff. 
but I really wanted that one to have some heart to it. And then there was a third one that I cannot remember anymore. I don't know why, but that third one was uh, deemed by Francesco as too crazy or weird. Right. And he and he said, uh, "Okay, those other two. Can you can you write like a treatment for those?" So I I did, and I presented it to Ton. So as I pitched these two ideas to him, I told him this first one, it's like suspense and then a lot of action. I can make it 90 seconds. I can trim it all the way down to the bare bones and leave it as 90 seconds. But this other one that has more heart to it, uh, I cannot promise that it's shorter than two minutes. I cannot promise that. Before this, he kept saying, action, action, action. You know, like, let's not try to make like a story, story. It's action, action, action. And then he read the, both of them. And, you know, to his credit, he was like, ah, I really like the one with the heart. Nice. I really like, uh, you know, there's just something a little bit special going on there. I thought he would immediately veto it. So I actually put way more emphasis. Oh, really? So, like, so the script on the other one is like way better, way more polished and whatnot. Um, so I was very surprised, but I was very happy. I mean, I like both of them. I really liked the idea of both of them. And it also meant that, I was allowed to allow it to have some sweetness to it that I think nobody was expecting. So yeah, and th this is what became charge, of course. You know, did you stick to your restraints or did you, you know, when was the draw drawing line for handing it into pitch? It's a really good question because there is the danger of, you know, it escalating basically. I think I was guilty of aiming too high for the fight scene. You do love a fight scene. I know. love it. It's so yeah, much fun. It. <laughs> it's so much fun. So the the and I love choreographing it. I love having it be asymmetrical. I took full responsibility and for, you know, being too ambitious with it. And even even within that, the actual choreography that I was designing, it ended up being twice as long as there really was space in. And and part of that is because there is something to be said about the language of film where an event happens. And if that event had happened in real life where a fight took place or whatever, like a bar fight, that bar fight in real life took like 12 seconds. If you then make the film version of that, it's two minutes. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. everything needs like to be framed a certain mm -hmm. way. It needs its moment. It needs readability, like all of those things. So it needs a little bit of breathing just enough that it registers what the next beat is, the next beat, and, and you know, making sure the composition looks nice. You start to realize just how much you have to be cheating where, you know, character is like jumping and they go towards a thing. And now you're going to change the angle. But in that angle change... You actually have to rewind the time a little bit. Yeah. Not to the point where you it feels like this person is d jumping twice, just enough that it feels like they still have that momentum. And yeah. Like first three frames of any shot is the bare minimum of your brain just registering, where am I now? What I did was I animated like the entire fight, just like with these, you know, discs fighting each other or whatnot. And everything was like clearly labeled and, and whatnot. And it's almost exactly twice the length of what cinema time length it would be. You know what I mean? Okay. I started putting in like some of the kind of early previews and I immediately saw I was in trouble when I was like comparing the timing and I saw that there's no way I can make it tighter and this will only get worse as the fight choreography goes on. 
So I had to make a harsh decision because I wanted to feel accountable to the constraints that I was given and not beg, can I get like one extra minute just for the fight scene? I had a really strong feeling that at the end of this film, when we would come to the kind of sweetness that, that happens at the end, the early version I made of it, it wasn't breathing enough. And so I wanted to make a case for not adding any shots at the end, but just allowing the shots that already exist to lengthen them just in the right place. And that's why this film actually is three minutes today, because <laughs> it's like that those last 30 seconds became the last 60 seconds, just from right. you know, bloating them up a little bit. And I ended up having to like take the midsection and chop it away and then kind of glue it together, the the kind of first quarter and then the second and the kind of last quarter of the fight. And then I had to figure out kind of a clever way of making that still work. So there would be a deliberate moment of crossing the line and then crossing the line again, because at the end I, I had this continuity, like this spatial continuity that I wanted to stick to, which is this guy who was on his way to steal a battery. I made my own little replica of this oh, thing. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> it's a 3D print. But the original design is from our uh, art director, Andy Goralczyk. I love having a physical version sure. of something that I worked with. Uh, I like stole his design and then I made my own version of it that is 3D printable. And uh, yeah, and then I Brilliant. put it together. And I've never done electronics before, but I was like, I'm not winging it. Bought, bought a soldering iron, bought some LEDs and put it all together. <laughs> And you know, oh it man, works. that result is cool, man. It looks so nice. Anyway, um, yes. Well, as this guy is like going from his home to stealing the battery, he's always going spatially on the screen from screen left to screen right. And then at the end of it, like once the fight is all over, I want him to start limping towards home. And I want that to be spatially screen left. So I had to like kind of swap the axes again. And I think I got away with it because yeah. it didn't bump anyone. And filmmaking is just problem solving. And how difficult it is to problem solve things. So to people, it looks effortless. You know, you managed to fit in story, a fight sequence, all the ingredients to make a really nice short, you know, the other feeling, the heart, like you mentioned. And, and you might notice also that as I'm like working with the camera, And I'm already thinking like, you know, on the cinematography level, okay, what would be a nice shot here? But then I'm also thinking about the fight choreography and how, if I were animating this shot, how would I animate it? I already am like planning certain moves, how it transitions into the next shot and a swoop has a certain orientation. And then in the next shot, it continues just enough for the next beat to happen. All these hookups between the shots that is like me already doing all of those hookups and testing them in the previous, which alleviates so much headache Definitely. down the line. Now, when you're giving it to an animator, like they know exactly where that thing started and that thing ended. And then they can come up with, you know, proposals of, you know, their own flair to it if they want. No shot is going to be reanimated because, oh boy, we yes. screwed up on that one, yeah. you know. And it, so, and it really is time, like if you can save render times and those questions and solve those problems in the previous layout stage, yes, then it's they're only going to, you know, appreciate it's all huge. that before it gets to those guys. 
Exactly. And it also means that when you, uh, when you start planning, uh, like creating the plan of like how many animators do we need, how much, you know, uh, you have a way firmer foundation. The list of props that you think you need, for example, uh, that list becomes like super holy to the, uh, to the producer who is already handing it out to the modeler and the designer and the concept artist. Now we have them all working on how to make exactly this, you know, like in the beginning of the film, we were going to, beginning of the production, there, there was a, for example, a grappling hook that he was going to use. As I was editing this previous, uh, the, this like collage in the beginning, or like this montage in the beginning, it's just a few shots too long. Like it's, it's losing some momentum. But then I realized the grappling hook, it doesn't serve a secondary function inside of the film. Let's just get rid of it. Okay, now three shots are gone and we have a prop that doesn't have to be modeled. Yeah, that's one massive benefit of previs and layout is being as efficient as possible, you know, production, pre-production and planning ahead as much as possible. It also helps a lot when the people that are gonna end up designing those actual props, they see like this shitty version of the prop it's you know it's kind of this low poly thing that i just extruded some stuff and you know whatever but you know kind of like pictionary it's like does it register like do you understand what this is it does give you some information about the size of it definitely the, sh the, the shape that it can be and can't be and now visually we're kind of on the same page i don't know a good example but it's like you know somebody design this thing for me and it just looks so like it's like this amazing design but it's completely disproportional to the thing that fits in the scene like you you don't even have to have that conversation you just already yes. know it because you're looking you're, you're together looking at the edit definitely you've really given it like context so they can see you know not only see it in you know a piece of concept art or you know a, a 360 view of the prop for example but they can really see it in use in terms of you know, where it is, why it's being used and how it kind of moves. And it helps them paint a, a better picture of the purpose of the prop. Exactly. Which it, it helps out for everybody, you know. Definitely. As you also like are having conversations with the animator, uh, it's not like the animator is just given like a storyboard drawing. From my experience, I love storyboard drawings, but they can be so incorrect <laughs> when it comes to scale. Yeah. Once it's in a 3D space, it really yes. changes, doesn't it, big time? I was going to get onto that, yes. like storyboards, how do you, do you use them much or do you just jump straight into sort of, you know, a really rudimentary? Like I love storyboards and, and I think they serve a, a fantastic purpose for what they are. The thing is, I don't think I'm a very strong storyboard artist. I think partially it's because I, I you know, I keep meeting people that are so amazing at it that I, I feel in, inadequate or whatever. But for this project, for example, I already had all these thoughts of cinematography level <laughs> uh, things I wanted to do. And the only way of communicating that was to already place a camera somewhere in some kind of three-dimensional space. I can now start A-B testing doing different size comparisons mm -hmm. or like, you know, a slight camera move, like just kind of going down and seeing, does that, does that invoke the thing that I want to invoke? And I just cannot do it quickly in a drawing. My own version of a storyboard, which is basically still images that are still from a 3D scene. Yes. What's it like being able to request cool 
features? Is it <laughs> ever happened where you've been working on a project and you've got, oh, I just wish we could do this? There's a push and pull relationship sure. as it should be. In some cases, we might find out that, hey, this small adjustment here is going to make our life so much better. And it doesn't seem like much to the developer. And he, you know, he, he'll look at it. He'll make maybe a proposal, might just test it out, like put right. it in that version to see, does it break something or whatnot? But, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, if it really significantly helps and it doesn't break something to the core design principles of Blender, then it, it becomes kind of a no brainer. In other cases, you have to like stop and look at it and ask yourself, am I in a severe corner case here where this is only applicable to this one film or this one shot or this one sequence or whatever it is, but it's not going to help the Blender community to shove it in because in some cases, shoving endless amounts of features, you, you just it just gets really busy and it doesn't help the majority of people. You have to, you have to find that balance, you know. And one thing happens sometimes where somebody shoves in a new code and it breaks for everybody. And then I guess the, the fear of um, the v developer deploying something that's on a live project. Yeah. And just exactly. like deploying and just crossing fingers and hoping that they're not <laughs> exactly. going to get a phone call going, it's broken. Exactly. <laughs> and well, that, this is also the good thing about I... Ton's idea that we have a place, you know, a physical place under one roof, the developers are working and the artists are working and they talk to each other. So if something breaks, there is somebody to talk to. You learn a lot from it because sometimes your head is like down in the trenches. You don't even realize what sure. somebody's working on, you know, across the hall. So it's, it's really great to be like, oh, you're working on that thing. And now like during lunch, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about it. So there's a lot of cross pollination that happens when you're physically there, you know. Is Blender ever going to make like a full feature? Thing? Is this is this uh, you know testing things for for bigger stuff or is it just for, for different purposes? I think that is always this long term goal, dream thing, a magic like that. At least I have that that we can do something that is bigger. The challenge of it, I wouldn't call it trivial. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you're a small studio, have you ever just watched a movie like a feature film? You're chilling there and you see the wall of yes, artists, the names of artists. It is staggering. Yeah. These incredible people that all came together for a singular goal with some kind of bank vault of money that had to bankroll all of it. Yeah, it's it's just a challenge. And I think if we if we did something in the same way as with George, we would have to be super frugal. We have we sure. would have to really try to Make something that is interesting and entertaining and fun, but achievable. Definitely. There is nothing set as of right now, but I really hope sometime in the future we can aim at some a target like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we hope so too. And I'm sure everybody that's ever opened or, you know, used Blender to any degree hopes the same. Because uh, that definitely. community, that sense of community and everybody is going to, you know, back it and support it, uh, I'm sure. The I hope, I really hope, yeah. oh, I'm sure, I mean, you know. <laughs> I mean, I already feel very grateful and thankful for, for the Blender Studio subscribers that subscribe to our platform, our, our website. You know, they, these films that we're making, the, we call them open movies. This is a, a term, I think it's coined by Ton from back in the day from, with um, the making of Elephant Stream. We are making stuff that we really just share 
out in the world. Literally, we have yeah, a, yeah. Share it. Creative Commons. Our website, we we publish all of our props, textures, rigs, you know, whatever. Uh, and people can just download it and use it and try things out. I remember when I was I was working at the ad agency back in the day. You know, every now and then, you know, I would be asked to make these banners for some random movies, whether it's like the latest Transformer or or a Pixar movie or whatever it is. You would get like a zip file full of like these random PR elements that you then have to put together. Oh, it was for Dark Knight. Oh, okay. They shared with me the, maybe by accident, but <laughs> the official Photoshop document of the poster with all the layers, nothing had been no flattened. Way. And this thing was like almost destroying my computer trying to open it. And really? I was just, what is this thing? I could see every little layer that color corrected sure. things or whatnot. And my mind was blown. I'm witnessing the working file of an artist this incredible artist and I see the final product, but I can also just like play around with it yeah. and see, you know, and sometimes they name layers very succinctly. And sometimes probably because somebody gave feedback, the name yeah, gets kind of wonky or whatever. Layer one, yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's like, wow, that's that, incredible. this is what it looks like. This that's is a real person doing their job. You kind of demystified it a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Well, that's what, you know, people, when, when they're able to sort of, you know, they see the final product, but they'll never, you know, get the opportunity to, to see the workings of it so when they do and when they can yeah. it's a real like eye opener to like whoa this is how it's made and and you know with blender open movies the bit the ability for every, anybody to go in and and open a scene it's yeah, kind we, of like we have like whole you know shot files that are exactly the shot file that was used grabbed from the animator whenever he was done with it and and we you know accept it or whatever and, and put it out there and giving back and, to the, the community. Yeah, and, it, and in some cases, you know, like maybe it's a shot by me that I animated. And I animated that thing maybe on a crazy deadline. And, yeah. you know, and it's a shot. It's like a shot from the, you know, the belly button up. Yeah. And and then you, you're playing it and maybe you start rotating the camera. You notice that the legs aren't moving. It's cheated well, completely. Of course not. <laughs> Why would they? <laughs> is, that, is that something uh, that you've been conscious of thinking, Oh my gosh! I, I can cheat this and stretch this arm and make <laughs> it as long as it looks good through the frame. That knowing that somebody else is going to open it, go. It, I think in the beginning, <laughs> I think in the beginning, it crossed my mind and I felt a little bit embarrassed. But at some point, you just embrace it, and, sure. and it, it is like a little bit more that you know you show your work with warts and all. I am probably the person that when I block a shot, I will block out at least roughly where the feet kind of should right, be. Right, okay, yeah. Because otherwise yeah. what tends to happen is that the hip becomes way too detached from reality because if you are if you start getting informed by what kind of foot pose he might be striking here, it can kind of tell you a little bit about whether his hip should drop down a bit or something. At some point, I stop touching the feet sure. and the feet just sure. like are this blocky thing and then anything above is smooth and yeah. <laughs> when you're doing stuff like that sometimes it's fine sometimes later down the line the uh, lighting artist yells at you because you know you leave the feet really far away you just move the hip and you're like doing your thing but the feet are way over there and they're casting a yeah, shadow shatter, oh, say, yeah, exactly <laughs> and it's yeah. like whoops sorry about that yeah uh, imagine being somebody opening up this the scene file 
and on the first frame and, and not scrubbing the timeline again. This is broken. This, yeah, exactly. Oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Exactly. My favorite thing in the world is coming to a scene, you know, you see like mountains in the distance and all that stuff, getting out of that camera and, you know, it's like taking a step to the left. You know, in, in real life production, there's like nothing. It just gives you the illusion that the the this city is sprawling with life on the yeah. side, but on the side there it's is just, nothing <laughs> because it's an illusion. You're yeah. just creating the you know the feeling of something. I've got here um, mentioned things like Blender hacks, but that sounds like a general hack in mm. just production, especially in, in CG when you can just hide things. Not on maybe not on live action. Maybe <laughs> what's over there, and you're like, well, there's nothing. There's just a there's just a cube casting that shadow. You know these filmmaking tips and CG tips and hacks yeah. to to create the results. I love I love those things. I love yeah. especially when they're so simple. You feel sure. almost stupid for not just thinking of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the simple things that really work. When I started out in 3D, because I like I didn't understand anything. I didn't do any training. I I think my dad got handed a pirated copy of uh, 3ds max and gave it to his teenage son because he was like i don't know what to do with this <laughs> so i'm there and 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 you know it's this big interface that looks like a nasa space shuttle interface all these buttons i don't know the terminology like i know some english at that point but it's not my native language and even if i understood some of these words the terminology of what they actually mean means something slightly different so when it's like oh material oh like 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 a mat material, uh, or if something's kind of shady, I guess it cast, it's a kind of shade. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. not, it's kind of evil or villainous. But for the first 18 months of me playing around with that thing, at one point I accidentally hit, like, I think it was like F9 or whatever the button is. And it rendered what I was doing. And my mind was blown. <laughs> I didn't know what render was. Amazing. I had no idea. I thought you were supposed to just full screen and take a screenshot or something. Incredible. Work. I, I had no idea. You're literally yeah. learning not only the software and what it is, but just discovering like you know terminology and literally <laughs> discovering things as you're accidentally pressing oh, yeah. things. That's incredible. Uh, mo most of the time, by accidentally uh, selecting a button, and then you had to like be Sherlock Holmes, where you're trying to retroactively figure out now what did that do and why did it do yes. it that way. I have no idea. I always thought in the beginning that okay, I you know I. I make like this floor and then i make this wall i needed to zoom in and everything needed to be pushed to be like airtight fit together oh my when gosh. in reality like what i do now when i'm doing previous i yeah. am throwing things around <laughs> i don't care there's, whatever there's quite a contrast then from where you've started have you got any advice for anybody getting into 3d or, or storytelling regarding storytelling don't think you have to wait until somebody gives you permission to start writing your story. In the beginning, just accept the fact that just like if you were to pick up a violin and start mashing that thing mm -hmm. and figuring stuff out, it's going to be really bad in the beginning. And there's nothing you can do about it. So what you have to do is embrace that there will be series of failures in the beginning but every failure is an opportunity to learn something from it. Just as an example, I've never really learned to do electronics in my life. And just like with any skill, you know what? I want to try this myself and learn from a lot of fun failures. 
So that's what I started doing. So I, so I, I bought my own, I got my own little soldering iron here. I got, you know, oh, what kind of wire? Turns out <laughs> there's so many wires. <laughs> there's so many kinds. And I had to, like, I spent an evening Googling this until I found somebody asking the same question with a similar kind of LED project. And I was like, I'll just take whatever answer he got and I'll just follow that. There's so many different things. And like with each incremental step of failure, the next iteration is slightly better. And and in the span of a few weeks, I now have this thing. In the beginning, I didn't know how to do any of it. So it's fun. You know, it's a, it just embrace the failures as a learning experience. You know, don't look at somebody that is amazing at doing it and being like, I want to be just like them. Mm-hmm. And then looking at what you're doing now and feeling like you're somehow failing on your path of learning. Because Definitely. it doesn't look like that thing, you know what I mean? Yes. One other thing with, regarding animation, character animation in particular. There's a couple of books that, are, you know, there's the uh, uh, Animator Survival Kit. Yes, yeah, Richard Williams. Yes, exactly. Yes. Richard Williams, amazing yeah. guy. Also, I do recommend the uh, the Disney one, Ill- Ill- uh, The Illusion of Life. Yeah, that one a little bit more because it gives you it gives you also the backdrop of this medium where it came from and kind of a little bit of the history of that medium. And I, and if you are interested in doing it, I'm hoping you are also a little bit interested in knowing the backdrop of it. So that being said, these two books, highly recommend. Do not, and I repeat, do not just think that you want to do animation and throw yourself into a super expensive animation school. Please, please do not do this. You can do animation at this point with so like everywhere with so little effort. By that, I mean, you know, you can set up your phone and and take a hunk of clay and you can take pictures and you can do stop motion with that clay and you're having fun with it. Yes. And now you start understanding, is this fun for you or not? Because I have seen people, witness people that, that enjoy watching animation and think that that must correlate with me having fun making it. Making it and enjoying watching it are two very different elements. They can be, you know, together. I mean, I, I still watch cartoons all the time. So I highly recommend if you're interested in dabbling with it, first, just try as a weekend project. Please, if you're even if you're like already a little bit of a 3D artist, don't find a fully rigged human character and start animating that. Start simple, start with a basic, start with a bouncing ball and have fun with that bouncing ball and a bouncing ball with maybe a tail or something. Because what happens is you're going to, you know, find some like Spider-Man rig and this character looks amazing. And it's too many variables for you to consider yeah, a lot. right from the get go. It's too much. And what happens is you're going to get frustrated and that's not nice. And I'll tell you right now, you know, I've animated very complicated scenes and at the core of it are simple concepts where in your mind you're breaking it down into very simple shapes and you're moving those shapes reminiscent of how you did it back in the day when you were doing those bouncing balls and whatnot. So please, if you think you might be interested in doing character animation, dabble with it as a hobby before you start, you know, taking a loan and diving into Definitely. a you know, five-year curriculum only to find out on year one that you made a huge mistake and you actually wanted to be a doctor or a dentist or something that actually pays well. <laughs> right, yeah, that's that's such good advice. It's something clearly that you love doing 
uh, Shouty, and that's you know your love and hate, of, love and hate, love and hate. Yeah, there's yeah, times love of love, it's, times of love. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Just, but I think I think that happens with anything that you're passionate about. Definitely, you know? you're gonna get you're gonna get frustrated, and exactly. you know you'll you'll lose motivation, think I hate this, but then to roll the coaster, isn't it? At exactly. the end of the day, whatever you do, it definitely helps with doing something all day or most days that you love doing obviously there's moments of hate and frustration that you want to smash your head off the wall <laughs> and jump out yeah. of a window but how do you balance doing your job can you switch off mentally you know how do you balance it for yourself for me it's something that i struggled with and i i might be working on a shot and i just become too hyper focused on it uh where i just need this thing to flow just right or like this thing to kind of click in place just right it takes time to learn how to kind of switch it off i know with some people it's very healthy for example to have hobbies that aren't too tangential to the craft so that might mean that your hobby is playing the guitar or you know snowboarding or something like that anything that isn't you know Oh, you know, I like my main job is animation. My hobby is rigging for animation. It's like, yeah, that's you know, that's that's, that's maybe too close. Uh, that's yeah. not you yeah. going home and relaxing. I've had instances where I'm working really hard, and then I I got sick. I had a fever, and in the fever where I'm hallucinating, whatever, I had some back pain, and within my fever, my rig was broken, and I was trying to pose the rig properly but the rig kept breaking or whatever. like it becomes like part of wow. uh your hallucinations because you've you've just been staring at the screen you know seven days a week for you know i don't know um you know 14 hours a day well it's it's very unhealthy it's not very nice and i think if you have the passion to do something like that be aware that you might be ruining your passion you end up you know maybe yeah you finish that project that you wanted to finish and you never want to do any of it again. You like you completely waste it. You can become so passionate about your work that you know you might realize that I've kind of lost contact with some you know friends of mine and whatnot because I've just not realized that I've been in like my own little bubble doing my own stuff. It's so important that balance. It's not only physically draining, clearly mentally draining. It's you know it's very important to do as much as you can to kind of look after yourself i think as an artist because exactly. you know it's it's you know there's a massive industry and people go through some you know yeah. difficult times and it's it's cannot it yeah. can be very unhealthy at times like what what ends up happening a lot of times is that if somebody says you know oh, i want to be you know an athlete but then maybe they think that the average athlete has the same kind of life as the you know highest ranking nba player uh, that's not the case. And it's the same with, you know, oh, I want to be an animator. And then I'm only going to compare being a successful animator as somebody that works at Pixar or whatever. You can be a very successful character animator and, hey, you never worked for Disney or Pixar or, or some of these things that maybe you were measuring yourself up to in the beginning. Yeah. Sometimes it can be like um, you're you're chasing the projects. And I, I know animators that have had to, oh, I have to move to Mexico now because of this project. Oh, I have to move to Australia because of this project. And you can do that probably in your 20s before you have sure. children and whatnot. Sure. So, you know, just be mindful that 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 is potentially part of, of the career that you're choosing. 
I'm I'm super fortunate that I've 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 not had to chase that too much and and you know and I, I'm very fortunate in the place I am right now. That advice is absolutely brilliant because because a lot of the time you can really compare yourself and kind of if I want to be an animator or work in the industry, that's the level I need to be at. But everybody's journey is their own, and yeah. yes, be inspired by the greats. Yes, be inspired by you know works. Uh, that you see your features and, and incredible pieces of work but just know that you've got to start somewhere and, and don't kind of put yeah. too much pressure on yourself because that can also be unhealthy and put you off things and get frustrated in ways before your journey really starts so exactly yeah, everybody's journey is their own you know you can have a full career without winning an oscar sure doesn't mean you're a failure no <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, like, absolutely. it's just so true you know so what I true mean? Yeah. And, you know, like it's it's when you think like if you think of uh, the average actor, you know, Brad Pitt is not the average actor. How many actors are out there? Like 100,000, a million? I don't know. But the average actor probably did some theater. They did some, you know, commercial work. They did, you know what I mean? And and that, you know, and that is, you know, a very uh, fulfilling job that has a lot of interesting ups and downs and whatnot. That's been incredible. What are you doing for the rest of the day? I guess anticipating certain events, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm about to run. Like it's just at the end of my uh, workday, so I'm about to run home to my wife and give her whatever she craves. Brilliant pickle, a watermelon, ice cream. My coworker Rick, who is uh, character animator here, he uh, he also had like a pregnant wife recently. He had a had a child. And he was uh, telling me, yeah, like, just happy wife, happy life. You got to go with the flow, man. Like, that's it's all it. good. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's what I live by at the minute. Um, and, you know, I'm not doing the heavy lifting here. So it's just, it's no problem. Yeah, you got the, you got the easy job. Exactly. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And you too, man. Oh, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, KLT. But, um, yeah, wish you all the best with expanding the family. I'm going to wrap it up now because I'm conscious of yeah, okay, your, your, your time and every minute is closer to uh, the birth of your child um, <laughs> but honestly that has been absolutely a pleasure to, to ch- talk with you and i just want to say thanks for your time because i really really enjoyed that yeah no worries man it's great great chatting with you have a good uh, rest of the day and we'll speak to you soon man awesome thank you man take care healthy bye buddy okay bye if you're looking for more conversations like this and can't wait for the next episode head over to our youtube channel or follow the link in the episode description Thank you.